You are listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org. Hello everyone, good morning uh, from London. Um, My name is Caroline Harper and I'm the uh, Principal Research Fellow and Head of Gender Equality and Social Inclusion at ODI and I also head up the ALIGN program which is Advancing Learning and Innovation on Gender Norms. Um, So it's a pleasure to facilitate the webinar this afternoon. Um, ALIGN seeks to understand gender norms and how they change and we define social norms as the implicit informal rules that most people accept and follow. They're embedded in formal and informal institutions and they're produced and reproduced through social interaction. They only change when enough people choose to act or are compelled to act in a different way, creating a new norm. Uh, Gender norms are a subset of social norms. They describe how people of a particular gender and often age are expected to behave in a given social context. So this event is hot off the heels from the Women Deliver conference, which some of you may have been at. Um, It's a satellite event for Women Deliver. um, And the issue of norms came up um, many, many times uh, during all the events that were held um, over the four days at Women Deliver in Vancouver. Some of the strongest forces behind persistent gender gaps are harmful social and gender norms that limit the expectations of what men and women can or should do. And we know the media can be a powerful tool to shape these norms. And this panel that we have today will explore the role media plays in shaping norms both towards greater equality and reinforcing discriminatory attitudes and behaviours. From housewives and caregivers to overtly sexualized objects, women have traditionally been portrayed in very narrow roles across the media. According to some estimates, in 2016, just 3% of industry advertising featured women in leadership roles, and only 2% showed women as intelligent. I attended a a panel at Women Deliver um, where Gillette um, uh, showcased their work um, on their um, advertisement for more, um, uh, for less patriarchy in, in the way in which shaving and Gillette products were shown. Um, you may have seen that uh, the brand director for Gillette and Venus was on a panel and described the impact of releasing that a very controversial ad in North America which showed men in caring roles. Um, and he actually received death threats after that. Um, and was advised to leave his home for his own safety. He didn't, and they've gone on to make two more advertisements which challenge gender stereotypes. So while slow, the trend is moving away from these classic stereotypes, partly driven by consumers and partly driven by the brands themselves. And today we are seeing a new wave in media and marketing campaigns that depict progressive gender norms and change towards greater gender equality. New standards and regulations are also coming into force. This month in the UK, for example, a new rule in the advertising codes will come into effect that will ban harmful gender stereotypes in ads in broadcast and non-broadcast media. This includes advertisements that depict a man or woman 
failing to achieve a task specifically because of their gender or any gender stereotypes on grounds of objectification, inappropriate sexualization, and depiction of unhealthy, thin body images. With the rapid rise of new technologies and the expansion of new media outlets and platforms, <coughs> the role of the media as a catalyst for positive change on gender norms will become ever more important. So joining us today, we have three experts working across contexts and media formats to explore the impact of media on harmful no norms. We have uh, Poonam Matreya, Executive Director of the Population Foundation of India. She's uh, joining us via uh, webcast. Um, and we also have in the room Caroline Sugg, Director for Strategy and Partnerships at BBC Media Action, and Olga de Biagio, Director of Gender Programming at The Girl Effect. This panel will discuss the power of the media as a space for driving positive change on gender norms. It will explore the merits and limitations of using different types of mass media. <coughs> the speakers will share case studies or insights from their work as part of their initial contributions, followed by a broader discussion on gender norm transformation through the media. And towards the end of the session, for the last 20 or so minutes, we'll also be taking questions from you, the audience. So to kick us off, I'd like to bring in Poonam. Um, Poonam, welcome today. Um, Thank you. Your organization leverages the power of entertainment education to change social norms in India. And we'd like to hear from you today on what norms you address in your edutainment work and how does a norms approach shape programming design, how your work has evolved to take into account learning on the impact of edutainment, um, and what you would say are the key contextual or cultural factors in India which shape your approach. So welcome today, wow. and we'll let you now Thank speak you. to those questions. That's a lot of exciting questions, so let me start very quickly. So in our work on gender rights um, and uh, reproductive and sexual health, there is a special focus on family planning, and I'll explain later why. Uh, we focus on advocacy and uh, with policymakers and informing and working with the larger community. We work across India in two hundred uh, two and a half hundred thousand villages. However, uh, um, our work uh, through behavior changes at the national level. It's now, as you know, well recognized that behavior changes at the individual and community level, not by just mere messaging. And I was introduced to entertainment education eight years ago, and that's when the dream started of having a national program to change gender norms. Um, we studied global experiences for using entertainment education across the world, especially Seoul City and programs across Nicaragua and so on. And we were led by Professor Arvind Singhal, who's a global authority on behavior change communication. We did hundreds of positive deviant studies, which form the basis of our program, because it is only solutions that communities have shown positive deviance in. Will they be able to use those for change? So our work, uh, our program called I, A Woman Can Achieve Anything, started five years ago on national television, which has an 80% penetration and 30% viewership across country. And we're talking about 1.3 million people. And we wanted to reach the most marginalized 
and the poorest. That's why we chose the national television that reaches the most unreached. And we are on 240 radio stations. Along with that, there is an integrated voice response system. The story of a doctor, Dr. Sneha, who left a private practice, flourishing practice in Bombay and moved to her village where she started um, uh, 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 the, the popular serial Mai Kuch Bhi Kar Sakti Hoon and the, it's despite confronting huge prejudices and social norms, the pro regressive norms, the serial has gained huge viewership. We have over the last 131 episodes over four years, we have reached a cumulative reaches 400 million and I've been giving you that exciting figure. Can I ask for the video to be shown so people know what context I'm talking about? So can we show the video? Yes, we'll do but that. While the video, while the video comes on, I'd like to say that uh, we received 1.7 million phone calls on our uh, integrated voice response system when the serial would be shown. Um, out of which, what I'm very proud and happy is that 48% were men and 52% were women. And so what we try and do is not just target women, we also are trying to change the behavior of men. Thank you. Has, this, has it come on? Yep. We're ready to go. There is hospital लाचार के शरीर में बल नहीं होता और उसकी चीख उसकी चीख सीना चीर देती है गांव का रास्ता तो शहर तक जाता है पर हर शहर का रास्ता गांव तक नहीं लौटता और इसीलिए मैं अपने गांव लौटी हूँ ताकि मैं अपने गांव और आसपास के सभी गांव जहां पर अस्पताल नहीं है डॉक्टर्स नहीं है उन सब तक पहुंच सकूं, एक एक तक पहुंचकर उनके आंसू पोच सकूं। मुझे मालूम है ये सफर मुझे अकेले ही तय करना हिम्मत ही वो ताकत है जिसके सहारे इंसान समंदर की हर विपरीत लहर को बिना झुके पार कर सकता है बड़े शहरों में हम सिर्फ बीमारियों से लड़ते हैं पर यहाँ छोटे छोटे गांवों में हर बीमारी के पीछे एक लंबी सामाजिक लड़ाई होती है भगवान पे चढ़ाया हुआ चढ़ावा कभी कोई भगत वापस मांगता है क्या सिर्फ उसकी हड्डियाँ जोड़ना ही मेरा काम नहीं उसकी हिम्मत जोड़ना भी मेरा काम 
डॉक्टर नी नेता बनने चलिए डॉक्टर स्नेहा के सामने रोज एक नई चुनौती है हर क्षण एक संघर्ष है सिर्फ छेड़ कर नहीं एक बार उनके साथ खेल कर भी तो देखो तब ना कोई लड़का होगा और ना कोई लड़की होगी सब बस खिलाड़ी होंगे माथुर है ना तबाह करना है इज्जत और ईमानदारी की दो रोटी मन भी भरती है और पेट भी सच को दबाने के लिए लोग किस हद तक जा सकते हैं उसका अंदाजा लगाना भी मुश्किल है it has addressed and 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 how much it's yes. worked as a uh, as a okay teacher. okay so the norms that it addresses for one is violence against women the second is age at marriage postponing age at marriage and the futility of uh, child marriage uh family planning spaces access to contraception de addiction we focus a fair amount on young people so de addiction uh, engagement uh, between girls and boys through sports uh, breaking barriers um uh, social barriers that keep girls and boys an enigma about each other sexual abuse abortion a woman's life is not separate it's very connected so in terms of um the change that we've been able to make through 131 uh, broadcasts let me tell you uh, it has been evaluated externally season 1 as well as season 2 and now we are on season 3 which is also being evaluated so uh, uh we 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 found in our baseline that 62% women Uh, 66% men uh, women and 62% women in india said it's legitimate to beat a woman or a partner and after just 52 episodes it came down to 20% we uh, it came down by 20% points sorry which we thought was an impact which was unbelievable so we got professor singhal to evaluate our evaluation to make sure that we were speaking the truth before we came out with such huge changes then we found uh, that men uh, uh, watching the show uh, uh, early marriage not just amongst men but women from 2% of people who knew early marriage does not work for a range of reasons it became 31% um we found that women and men began to have conversations as a result of this serial which never happens between a couple over issues like sex contraception etc we also found that um a large number of uh, men and women uh, began to speak with their children where there's a culture of silence to talk with young people 40% of our viewers were young and i want to give you two very powerful examples there is in a remote village in india a girl called lat kuwar who want who aspired to go to college and in that village no girl had gone to college and the village collectively didn't believe in sending girls to college because they would get empowered 
community fought all the rigorous norms and the village community even tried to run a car over her. But she managed to go to college. She was the first girl in her village to go to college. And in the following year, 10 girls went to college from her village and they continue. Another experience, another um, um, uh, very powerful impact I want to share with you is that men in a very remote and regressive part of India, in Madhya Pradesh, who used to beat their wives every day, decided to take a vow not to beat their wives after seeing my uh, I, a woman, can achieve anything. And they started a whole movement where they not only stopped beating their wives, but they started practicing family planning and participating in household chores, which in a society like that is completely uh, 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 almost impossible for people to follow. Uh, the percentage of men who began to uh, consider sending their daughters to school, every every norm, we saw a huge success and a huge uh, uh, impact. And the most important thing we heard from in the qualitative research is that the serial A, it's entertaining, Two, it's very powerful. Three, it gives us solutions that we can resolve and we can follow and practice. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Poonam. Some very clear impact figures there. And we'll come back um, after we've heard from the other can two I... speakers to discuss further. Okay, I thought you asked me a question, unless you want me to postpone it, about what are the norms in India that are problematic, but I'm happy to... I think we can come back to that in, I've got that okay. also in some of our discussions um, shortly. Sure. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, so um, I'd like to remind people also that if you have questions, you can send them in. Um, and then we'll try and answer as many as we possibly can. So I'd now like to bring in Caroline Sugg uh, from BBC Media Action. Um, so, Caroline, your media and communications reach more than 200 million uh, people a year. So um, we'd like to hear from you about whether you think big broadcasters have a responsibility to drive positive change mm -hmm. on gender norms and how BBC Media Action approaches an understanding of norms and also what does success look like? What are you seeking to change? Thank you. Thanks, Caroline. And hello to everyone joining online today. Um, as Caroline mentioned, I work for BBC Media Action, um, the BBC's independently funded international development charity. And we work with media, storytelling and all forms of creative communication to inform, connect and empower people around the world. And when it comes to our work on gender, we're aiming to support equal opportunity for all and to reduce gender-based discrimination and violence. Um, if you don't mind, I'll start by talking a little bit about our approach and then talk, talk about how we're working with broadcast and media partners around the world. So, as you say, we know that um, the influence of, of media on gender is powerful. Media shapes culture and the public agenda, and it shapes how people behave. Um, it influences power dynamics in the way that it frames public discussion and the ways that different people and different groups are represented. Um, and when it comes to gender norms, which are held at that group or societal level, we, we think media is really important because it can bring together and engage whole communities, boys, boys and girls, men and women, leaders and ordinary people, to really reflect on norms and, and challenge um, the expectations and values that underpin those norms. Um, 
the first thing I wanted to say about our approach on norms is that it's often situated within theories of change that are looking at gender equality more broadly. Um, because when it comes to gender equality, we know that the evidence shows that people's knowledge, their attitudes, their confidence in their ability to do something and their motivation can be as important as social norms themselves. So, for example, our work on girls' education in South Sudan helped communities find out more about cash transfer schemes and new school facilities being built, just as much as they open conversations around early marriage um, and how that impacts on, on education. So that's, that's quite important, I think, to look at those broader theories of change when it comes to gender equality. Um, but of course, norms are really important, and um, we use a number of different approaches to tackle norms within our work. So um, sometimes we might focus on debunking norms, so just simply showing people that a practice isn't actually as widespread as they think in their community or society, um, and also um, making visible change that is already occurring when it comes to gender norms. And I know that approach has been really important um, with organisations that work on media around FGM, so just showing how things are changing and making that change visible to, to a mass audience can be really key. Um, we also um, share stories of people who are deviating already from quite entrenched social norms. So, for example, in our DFID-funded radio programmes on maternal health in Ethiopia, we hear the real-life stories of men who are already supporting their wives during their pregnancy and not following the traditional gender rules that a pregnancy is a women's business or a women's matter. So we have a husband segment in our radio show, and the programmes also have male and female presenters who are mums and dads themselves, so really discussing issues around pregnancy and, and the male presenter sharing his own story around how he in fact is deviating from really what's quite a widely held norm. Um, so that, that project operated at scale and um, those two programmes in Ethiopia alone reached 21 million people which is around 40% of the adult population and the need for that mass engagement I think when it comes to norm change is key. Um, they then had a, uh, we had quite a complex um, measurement approach, impact assessment approach, and we were able to demonstrate that those programmes did have a measurable impact on um, men's involvement in their partner's pregnancy, and that then that contributed to more women seeking antenatal care as a result. So those are some of the approaches we take. We also, you know, oftentimes we're just seeking really to encourage and facilitate debate around um, norms in communities um, so that communities really have the opportunity to speak in their own, own terms about the advantages and disadvantages of, of norms for different groups of people and, and to explore people's appetite for change in, in reality. Um, because, of course, it's really critical that that norm change is, is owned by the community themselves and that negotiation is really happening live in the communities with which we're working. So those radio programmes in Ethiopia that I just mentioned were supported by listening groups and also improving the communication skills of the frontline health workers who are engaging with groups all across the country. Um, the other thing I did just want to touch on before I talk about our work with local media partners is to say that sometimes we're often finding it more effective to work at a deeper level to explore some of the kind of gateway values, if you like, that underpin the social norms. So as well as focusing on specific norms, um, really exploring the values and understandings about what it means to be a man and a woman in a given society. So um, in Afghanistan, for instance, most of our work focuses on those kind of deeper cultural attitudes around masculinity and femininity um, and around the state, broad status of women in relation to men and their contributions to society beyond, beyond homemaking. 
Um, yeah, and the, the final point I wanted to say, which I think is really important as we sit here in London, is to is to make the point that our work really is obviously embedded in, in the context in which we're working. Um, it's informed by immersive research with communities and produced obviously in local languages and increasingly made by, not by media action, but by local broadcasters who are able to sustain this kind of media and gender intervention in, in the long term. Um, and you asked me about the, the responsibility of, of broadcasters, if you like. Um, and um, I think it's not really our place as, as part of the BBC to say what the responsibilities of other broadcasters are. But all around the world, there are broadcasters who really want to serve their diverse audiences. And we're really there to support them and help them to do that when it comes to gender. Um, and um, increasingly, um, we're finding that broadcasters who do want to serve their audiences do recognise that they do that best when they reflect the diversity of their audience, both in their own organisations and actually across their whole schedules. And I think it's that kind of partnership where we're, where we're working with broadcasters across schedules that's, that's so important because... Um, I know we're going to come on to talk about the value and merits of different formats later, and that's fine, but I think that you know, there's merits working with all forms of media because they all shape our understanding in some way of what other people are doing and what's expected of us. So making sure that we're being kind of gender aware and sensitive across news programming, political debate programming, as well as drama and other entertainment formats, I think is really really important. So we're doing a lot more of that kind of deep, longer-term work with partner broadcasters now. Um, an example would be in Afghanistan, we're currently supported by Global Affairs Canada to work really deeply and long-term with FM partner stations all across the eastern centre of Afghanistan, um, both to, to work with them on their own institutions that, um, and the issues that relate to women working in the media. So that might be engaging with them around their management structures and decision-making processes within, within their organisations, working with them to think through the allocation of roles and training between their male and female staff, and I think uh, on important issues of safeguarding and safety when it comes to women journalists and women working in the media, which we know is a huge challenge actually everywhere ar around the world. Um, and yeah, so in addition to working with them on those institutional issues, we're also then working with them to help them plan, make and review content that includes women's voices, that meets women's needs for information and reflects on women's lives, as I say, across their whole schedules, um, as well as in, in the entertainment formats that we traditionally have used as, as BBC Media Action. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to say about formats is, um, and it's probably obvious, but that we really do value the kind of format that stimulates discussion within communities. And that might often involve investment in community outreach with partners to get that discussion going on the ground. But also um, discussion can be sparked by some quite simple formats if they're used cleverly and, and creatively. Um, so um, Poonam will know many years ago now in India we produced a ringtone with a song about a condom that was showcased in a TV ad. And that really quickly and simply dramatically disrupted the idea that it wasn't manly or appropriate to talk about condom use in, in that context. So sometimes you know, the, our theories of change are very complex and um, complex de and detailed, but sometimes just a really kind of clever, creative piece of short format content can really disrupt the way people think, think about things. Um, 
there's so much more to say, but I think I'll, I'll stop there before, before I take all the time and hand back to you and we can come back to some more of the points in, in the discussion. Yes, great. Thank yeah, you. we'll come back to more in discussion. We've got some time for that. Um, so thank you very much. Um, and I'd now like to bring in Olga, um, who's Director of Gender Programming at The Girl Effect. Um, so Olga, I think you're going to talk about tackling gender stereotypes through public-private partnerships, amongst other things. Um, I believe you've got a partnership with Facebook, um, with uh, Nutrition International in uh, Indonesia, with Unmute Yourself. Yeah. Um, so how does the Girl Effect approach an understanding of norms? Um, and what are the range of norms addressed in your work? And um, perhaps you can talk a little bit about what has worked and yeah. what hasn't. Sure, I will. Um, well, uh, hi everyone. Um, and um, nice to have you all online to listen to this uh, really interesting roundtable. Um, so yeah, it's probably um, many of you know Girl Effect is an organization that um, aims at empowering adolescent girls across the globe. Um, we, um, we were born as a, yes, as a public-private uh, partnership um, funded initially by the Nike Foundation, um, but also funded a lot by the FID, um, and then moved along uh, our journey since then and became actually a, um, a, an independent organization, a charity, um, a few years ago with the same mission, which is the one of empowering adolescent girls. Um, the, the fact that we were born as uh, this private-public partnership um, has helped us borrowing some of the um, tools that the private sector uses to uh, get people to change behaviors and, and, and ideas. Um, and we use a lot in, um, in our work the concept of brand, for example. Um, so it's a, bra a brand, we create brands, we create brands for girls and we create brands for um, young people um, in a way that they are, they really resonate um, with the local, they reflect the local uh, culture, they resonate with young people, uh, but also create uh, a new image of what girls are and can be for themselves and for others as well. Um, and also we take then our target audience, mostly girls, um, into a journey of change in that way. Um, our brands are represent almost like an umbrella with some specific values and some um, very easily recognizable elements um, where then we fit a number of different products um, that use different media. Um, for example, we have um, a brand uh, in, uh, in Malawi that I will um, present a bit more in detail later uh, that uses um, radio, a radio drama and a radio, um, uh, a radio talk show as well as uh, uh, magazines and as well as, uh, uh, for example, some digital, um, uh, some digital uh, products like a Facebook page. Um, also, what we do is also creating then, in addition to um, products through media, we also create some opportunities for girls and young people and their communities to meet in person and elaborate and internalize some of the content that comes through our um, products across the different medias that we use. Um, in this way, what we want to do, um, as I said, targeting primarily girls is to uh, uh, distrib pro 
provide information and knowledge, but also um, create greater confidence among girls, um, the ability to navigate difficult situations that they can find themselves in, um, and also um, the confidence to voice their needs for girls, um, and also the opportunity to connect with each other, with other girls, uh, but also with other people in their communities and eventually with services. Um, in terms of social norms, we obviously recognize the huge importance of social norms um, in the lives of girls and in influencing um, girls' realities every day. Um, and the way that we try to influence these norms is, um, um, as I said, try, uh, trying to create a new image of girls and what girls can be in society and what they can do. Um, and, um, and we know that Actually, our you know although our target audience is mostly girls or sometimes young people, but a lot of people around them do consume our our products anyway, and therefore we are pretty sure that this different ideas of what a girl is and can be are definitely being um, seen and understood by others as well. Um, the other way uh, that we we try and challenge social norms is also by giving girls a voice and making girls. Um, you know their their own um, agents of change and 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 helping girls to come together and be stronger together to um, to promote um, a new a new reality um, and also we we definitely try and partner with other organizations that can complement our work because we recognize focusing on girl main, on girls mainly we kind of sometimes end up not having the ability to work with everyone else around the girl that obviously has a huge influence on a girl's life and therefore we definitely make sure that our partnerships um, cover eventually any of these gaps. Um, I, I mean, uh, there is a lot more to say, but I think maybe a very powerful way of showing everyone what Girl Effect does um, is uh, to show you um, a video. Um, it's a narrative music video. As I said, it's one of the, uh, the products that we have developed for our brand in Malawi. The brand is called Zatu, which means ours. Um, the brand value, it's a brand for youth, so not necessarily only for girls. Um, and the brand values and, and main themes are um, promoting um, friendship between boys and girls mm -hmm. and bringing them together and showing how much stronger they can be together and how everyone can benefit from this stronger relationship. Um, and also, in this way, we, we try and challenge gender norms in particular. So I'm going to show you the, the video now um, for a few minutes, and, you, and we can talk about it later. <laughs> Take up on Timor, who's a very good in Paso, so I can be made my career. Oh, eh, got a man. Hey, I say, when the time is a second. Say, I said, Project, I was saying, you went up. Say, I said, I said, I said, I said, I said, I said, Mugudo na wili wili. Ah, tu tende zana. No. Ah, zibida. Aso zibida. Ah, adan. No. Ah, speechy. 
Mama ni best. Ah ah. Tadi mahaus. Ago kwa swera. Naswera. Paswa na ndi foto kuzira menezi na kalira. Ndenda ati aineyo ndi satire ndikafuse kuti kodi zinali bwanje. Kubaba ago kwese ineyo ah. Inebesi mamva bwino kuti nyamara ndi ntsikana azikhala wili wili. Inendo kugwirizana nanu simene munenazo. Nzukuwanga mphazo ede. Aineyo namulera kuti azikhala mwana wachirunga munthawizozi. Moti za maubwezi yake wose ama masuka nane kunduza nditu. Moti nditu ndi kusimikizire kuti musadanda ule. Koma chimafunika monga makolo tizikhala nawo basi. Ndikumaunikira fundo za bwino zimene zingathandize moyo wawo. Yeah, So as, as you've seen, um, this video, the, the song actually was called the Chinsatu Ichichi, which means this amazing friendship. So it's, it's really uh, focusing on the value of bringing girls and boys together and the fact that not necessarily a friendship uh, has to be a, a romantic relationship, which is often, you know, the, the stereotype or, or the, uh, or the mis misconception around the friendship between boys and girls. Um, yeah, this, um, as, as I was saying earlier, these this types of uh, videos bring together, obviously, the desire to, um, to challenge the norms and the reality, but at the same time also to entertain and be very catchy and very, um, you know, very much reflective also of the local culture. There has been a lot of studies to understand, for example, in Malawi, what... Um, what does get young people attention and you know the music the colors are definitely um, very very important elements that we feel are, are key instruments to get the message across uh, to our audience and and, um, and targets um, before um, I end my presentation there is another example um, of a girl effect work that I wanted to show you um, this is a very different one is a is a digital product uh, that girl effect um, is actually developing at the moment. It's a chatbot, um, and is um, it's um, it's called Big Sister. Um, it's a pilot chatbot. It's part of uh, Springster, which is our uh, mobile-first global um, brand. So it's a global brand that can be accessed um, through Facebook, and it was born, as Caroline was saying earlier, through a partnership that we had with um, um, Facebook Free Basics um, a few years ago. And it's a, it's a platform where young people, young girls, but 
also boys um, can find a number of very interesting articles. Uh, what we have realized though um, through this um, or on this platform is that adolescent girls do have a lot of questions are really asking for, for um, interactive mm -hmm. um, platforms and also especially when talking about SRH, so sexual and reproductive health issues, they feel they want a more private and safe environment. So what we have been doing is lately is trying to develop a chatbot which, which, a chatbot, which offers exactly these elements. So the ability to ask questions um, and, and receive answers in a very protected environment. Um, and the objective of this is obviously to provide girls with information but also increase um, ability to act um, on their own needs and increase confidence that they can request information and that they can have this information and then uh, manage their own lives um, in, a, in a better way. So I think, yeah, this is uh, a couple of uh, really interesting examples and quite diverse. Um, as you can see, the digital channels are definitely becoming more and more interesting, definitely the way for the future, I would say, and Girl Effect is definitely trying to explore digital options more and more going forward. Great. Great, thank you very much, um, Olga. Um, so we're now going to um, have a, a bit of a discussion uh, between the panel, but I would um, also remind the audience that this is your opportunity to ask questions or to share your views. So um, I believe on the screen that you're looking at, you have a um, opportunity to send in some questions. So whilst we're having this discussion, please send in your questions. Um, and panel, um, I might also ask you to think of one question you might like to ask your other panel members. Mm -hmm. um, um, so bear that in mind, I might come back to that in sure. a moment. Um, but I thought um, it would be uh, important for us to think um, uh, about where the power for norm change lies. You've all got specific audiences in mind, um, and those audiences seem to have the power to make some changes. Um, so where, where do you think the power for norm change actually lies? Um, and so perhaps first of all, I'll turn to Poonam uh, to perhaps give her views on, on norm change and where, where change needs to happen, who needs to make that change. So um, we need both women and men to make a change. We are very clear the world will change and the country will change when men also change. So addressing them both and an investment in young people will lead to many more returns in 10 years. We will see a real change if we invest in young people today. So we are investing a lot of young people. As in Power Effect, we also have a chatbot and lots of digital programs. And the second thing is to scale up the programs. For instance, our serial, we have converted into a whole program for 800,000 peer educators that the government of India through its um, uh, adolescent health program is appointed across the country. So we've converted our materials on a range of issues that young adolescents as peer educators can use with others. Second chatbot, a chatbot like your chatbot, Girl Effect chatbot, is something that is a private space that addresses um, and gives access to young people. What we've done it 
uh, is we've con- we've 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 uh, connected it to India's leading helplines, including the government of India's helpline, where young people call. Um, all people call on uh, sexual and reproductive health. The third thing we do is we try and reach the parents too. And Facebook is a great way. So we do partnering with Facebook on specific promotions of specific issues and our programs. So ultimately, I think we have to reach the last mile. We have to reach the most underprivileged. And we have to reach um, young people who are not in school, who are outside school. School, there is some information available. And finally, um, the policymakers, we have to expose them to the opportunities that digital media and um, other forms of more traditional media through entertainment education has for reaching out to people. Donors is another constituency. You know, DFID is great. I think BBC also, you mentioned that DFID has been, DFID has funded a lot of your work and DFID is great and USAID has been funding, but the new donors need to recognize the power of behavior change. And in a country where the social norms are so regressive, like India and many other countries, I think using entertainment, education, and digital media and behavior change is really, really important when you have 70% of the global child brides are from India and to share information and change their behavior around child marriage. In India, 30 million women don't have access to contraception. So 15 million women every year go through abortion. These are communities that need desperate information to reach out to. Great, thank you. Um, thanks, Poonan. Uh, so I'm going to ask Caroline to comment on that. Um, you probably are aware that the theme for Women Deliver was power, yeah. how to and uh, where the power lies. Yeah. So where do you think the power I mean, lies? A, I think it's a very similar answer. There's a huge benefit to investing in norm change programs for young people, where the norms, I suppose, are less deeply held and easier to, easier to shake. And yet, as we know, we need to involve, you know, norms are held deeply in, at a societal level. So hence the power of media to really uh, bring bring whole communities together so that change can be coordinated because small pockets of change is great, but the, there's a need to kind of coordinate across whole communities. Um, one of the things um, you mentioned, obviously, and we talk about this all the time, the need to involve men in gender-related norm change. We, we know that the literature says that, but I, um, you know, and, and we recognise the need to explore masculinities and that those kind of gender norms and values faced by men um, and there's lots of discussion around that um, and it's it's so important because we see all around the world backlash to against women's advancements and equality when that work isn't really done and yet it's not always easy to secure resources to do that work and I'm not sure that the investment and the kind of programmatic effort is really there yet um, it, and it, that can be quite frustrating I think when when we know that that's such a kind of critical part of any change strategy. So as a, as a challenge and a way forward for all of us, I think, and donor communities as well, to really think about how we want to fund that work on, on masculinity and um, increase investment there alongside um, women's empowerment programmes, if you like. We've said it for, for years, but I'm not sure that it's quite happening yet. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Olga, do you have anything to add? Or? No, I think I would probably repeat <laughs> what everyone else has said. Okay. I think I totally agree with, with both points. So I'm going to ask you then um, a slightly different question, sure. um, which is about campaigns backfiring, um, whether you've seen backlash and um, what that um, has, what has prompted that. Um, as I, I, I explained at, um, at the beginning of this meeting, it was very sobering to hear about the backlash that Gillette had um, for their ad on masculinity, even mm. extending to death threats. Um, and clearly a certain demographic was very challenged by seeing men in a different mm. role, feeling that men were losing their place, their authority in the world. Uh, and women were much less challenged by that advertisement and, and didn't see uh, what the problem was. So. Um, and Gillette hasn't given up and they're continuing. I think they're next, um, they've done two more and the, the one that is due to come out is on a transgender uh, boy um, whose father is teaching him to, to shave. Um, so they've reacted to the backlash by just continuing. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes campaigns can backfire. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I don't have necessarily big examples from girl effect but i definitely um can see how that is a possibility because we are um challenging uh, very um very strong norms that the the whole society holds as uh, as essential for their day-to-day -day life um one thing i would definitely say is that um in order to avoid that backlash what girl effect does is really trying to understand before we, we design a product and before we create a product is to really understand what the local culture is, what the existing norms are, um, and where are the openings and the opportunities to challenge these norms um, in a gradual way. So what we also do through our work is really try to take our audience on a journey so we don't um, necessarily um, come in straight away and say what you believe in is wrong, um, things should be different, but we really try and take everyone on a journey. And this journey, um, as I was saying earlier, is, um, is taken forward by a number of different products that kind of support each other uh, by um, a TV show or, or a drama, uh, a magazine, and then you know, in-person um, uh, safe spaces for girls and, and things like that. Uh, but definitely it is always challenging. Uh, you know, I have an example in mind of um, one of the, the actors that we use for, for one of our brands. Um, and um, I think he was meant to impersonate um, a young person with HIV. And we had, you know, the parents coming to us and saying, no, 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 my son is not going to do that. Um, you know, this is absolutely not acceptable. And I think it took a lot of, um, you know, convincing and discussions um, to, to be able to overcome this problem and then to be able to produce um, um, our, our videos and to have this, uh, this young person uh, being an actor in our, in our brand. So I think that's a very good example. Another example I can think of is all the work we do with um, the content writers. So whoever writes the content for our products and our brands, they are 
all the time, most of the time, local people. So <clears throat> what we do in addition to obviously thinking what we want our con content to do to our target, target audience is also thinking how do we get local people to embrace the messages that Girl Effect wants to uh, transmit and, and help us to create those messages in, in a local language. And, you know, even there you have a lot of work to do with, um, yeah, with individual beliefs and individual norms um, and, and, and how, do you, how do you change those so that the content these people pre produce really contribute to your overall objective. Yeah, great, thank you. Punan, do you have any comments on, on backlash and unforeseen impacts of um, some of the media initiatives? Yeah, so we've been very careful. We are very aware of the media backlash and uh, media programs that have led to more regressive norms. We have a whole lot of serials in India which have actually done more damage across our television channels, except uh, the BBC media programs, which we really admire, uh, they have done more damage to women's reality, where they're showing women dressed up with, from head to toe in the serials, where each woman is doing, all they're doing is uh, scheming against each other. And women dressed up, where, but nowhere to go except the kitchen, then the working woman whose role has been seen very negatively and a working woman as though does two things. That's what they, I guess, the TRP pays. So they, they showed women um, stabbing each other behind the back, women professionals. Number two, the norm there is that you show a woman with one foot in the uh, bed of her boss or colleague so this has created a huge negative um, opinion of women and it has also changed families from how they view working women. One, two, in families, the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law conflict has really increased. So what we try to do is to present women normally, present women respect, respectably in their serials in our serial and also the relationship improving the so we have actually responded to these regressive norms the other thing we do to ensure that we are not challenged by uh, backlash we have 18 to 20 people that who review our scripts this begins with government officials in india in the health ministry and other ministries we have psychologists sociologists anthropologists gynecologists and our staff reviewing the script so that we make sure that any kind of backlash we ensure against. And finally, I'd like to say that even though we have put out materials in government programs like same-sex relationship, we have put out materials on um, uh, masturbation and so on, we do it in a very culturally sensitive way. The word sex is not sexual, comprehensive sexuality education and sex education is not acceptable. But everybody knows everybody's having sex. So what we do is even when we show intercourse or anything else, we don't use the word sex because there is a sensitivity to it. So we haven't given people a chance 
But in the country, yes, there has been backlash against many good programs, and we join the fight for uh, for ensuring that the backlash is dealt with. For instance, there was an ad, which was a very sexy ad, I would call it, but the government thought it was uh, obscene ad, and they banned that ad. All ads on contraceptives, um, which is condoms, from morning six to evening ten. And we not only agitated against that, but we gave government a solution. We said, why don't you give ratings for advertisements? And if something is not, is considered obscene by you, give it an A rating. Though I don't call it obscene. So you have to not only uh, ensure your programs don't get backlash, but you have to also, as those of us, Working on changing social norms have to defy. We, we have to support when wrong things are done and defy when something like a serial shows things that are regressive. We do challenge with data and so on. In fact, one of the private channels had to take back because it showed abortion as a crime. And we agitated against that. We went to the press, did press conferences. They had to apologize. So we have to not only be guarding our own programs, but we have to guard and stand up wherever regressive norms or regressive views attack programs like this. Thank you very much. Very, um, very interesting set of examples there. Caroline, do you have anything to add on um, that? These contributions have been great, and we try to take similar steps with our programs. I guess one thing to add, I suppose, is I think this is why... Um, formats and programming that host discussion and debate can be so important in this space because whenever there are shifts in power dynamics, those will always be contested and debated. So if we can find space for those debates to happen respectfully, hearing two sides of an argument, I think that can be a really important complement to sort of mass media entertainment type type programming so that, yeah, as I say, that debate and contestation can happen in a respectful, um, facilitated way. Mm. Um, also to say again, a few, few examples of backlash that I can think of um, from, from programming like ours, but all around the world we do see um, backlash and attacks against female journalists who are trying to report on um, women's needs in their country who are trying to put women's voices on air and you know, local journalists who are raising these issues within the media. So there's a huge job to be done to, to promote safety for women journalists around the world um, on and offline and that's a really important part of our media development programs because as I say all around the world um, female journalists, male and female journalists who want to raise gender issues in, in the local media are, are um, yeah, facing backlash for, for exactly that. Great, thank you. Um, so moving on to a slightly different question about different types of media mm. to drive positive norm change. So I'll start with you, yeah. Caroline. Is there uh, one form of media more effective than another? Uh, what about a cross-media approach? Yeah. Different uh, formats for different issues? Yeah. I think that's always a really challenging question. I don't think we have the kind of scientific evidence that allows us to compare the impact of different forms of media. And if you think about um, 
norms being replicated through media, I think all forms of media have a, have a role to play. Um, we've certainly got really robust evidence now to show that drama can be effective, to show that discussion formats can be effective, and actually really strong evidence now from our health programs around the world that clearly combining impacts, um, combining formats can have a reinforcing effect. So there's now really clear evidence of that, that, yeah, that um, dramatic fictional formats combined with um, factual programming can have greater effect than either one output on their own. Um, I, think, I think that's clear. Um, as I say, again, short format programming, like p public service announcements, we sometimes think of not being really effective in this space because the, in, in, um, the issues are so complex. But I think you know the Gillette example that you gave, the condom example that I gave in India, does show that purely by sparking discussion and kind of disrupting deeply held norms, that those can also be effective as well. I think, I mean, maybe you can say more with, um, from the girl effect experience. I think we're still really exploring and trying to understand what the impact of online um, discussion and debate around these issues can be. Um, um, any, you know, any time you try, we, we've got very popular Facebook pages in, in countries in which we work around the world, and any time there you generate debate around gender equality issues, there are always some very difficult and challenging conversations to mediate. Um, and I think, yeah, we, it remains to really be seen the impact of that online discussion on positively shaping gender norms. I think that's a really important area for future research to, to focus on. Yes. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. Um, I think definitely um, Girl Effect has taken always the approach that using multiple media at the same time, um, working uh, complementarily to each other, really helps to um, to get our messages through and to um, and to uh, promote change. Um, but definitely, I think using we we are now uh, going into the direction of strengthening our focus on, on digital channels um, and it is still not very clear what the impact can be but what we definitely know is that you know the reach is can be um, incredible uh, that more and more young people have access to the internet but also use it to find information to connect with each other so um, I think yeah that you know, there is a huge potential there I think what we are also trying to understand and explore is what's the best way to use digital and maybe together with other um, opportunities and other medias and other um, messages. Um, and also, I think in terms of social norms, for me, one big question is, um, you know, as we have been saying so far, social norms, changing social norms means sparking uh, conversations, but also getting a number of different people within a community to engage with a certain issue, with a certain norm. Um, and, and, and the question is, how do you do that through digital? Because digital seems to be much more focusing on, on, on the individual and the individual interaction with, with, the, you know, with a website or with a, with a chatbot. Or, so how do you change norms at scale with digital? Or you know, is digital enough or is it going to be something that we need to um, add to, you know, in-person conversations and community discussions. And so I think, yes, that's something that is definitely to be explored farther. Um, 
Yeah, and then, I mean, the other thing to say, I guess, is also that using multiple medias at the same time, although it's very uh, successful, uh, I think it's also quite expensive for an organization. So I think, you know, the, the, there is obviously uh, discussions to be had on, on what is or what can be the most effective approach and is it really worth investing in a number of different medias tackling the same issues at the same time. Mm -hmm. Poonan, thank you very much, Olga. Poonan, do you have comments on different media and approaches? I'm very excited about this conversation. So what we did was to have multiple, we call it a 360-degree approach. So we are on t the national television channel. Then we are on uh, 220 radio stations of the government plus community radio stations. Then we are on the integrated voice response system. I'll come to expenses. Uh, we are on the radio response. Then we have Sneha Club, Sneha being our protagonist. We have 500 Sneha Clubs across the villages in India, 500 villages. And we also, again, are doing digital. We added digital as an add-on later, and now the chatbot. Now, as far as expenses are concerned, Olga, the real expense goes in the production of your cereal, the product materials. I feel the amount of research we do, the, um, the cost of high quality production, given that we owe it to the materials and the investments we've made to use it in multiple levels. So you can reach older women, middle-aged women through radio and television. You can't really reach many middle-aged women in the illiterate section, uneducated uh, section with, uh, uh, with uh, digital media. You want to use young people at the same time. So digital media, since young people stay in a digital space, we have found it cost effective, in, in fact, Olga, to reach multiple channels through using the same program. And we make the program in a way that it is relevant, not just it was relevant five years ago, it is going to continue to be relevant for some time to come, especially in India, given the numbers. You know, we're talking about 253 million um, young people. So what we've done is we've done a mapping. Uh, we did a feasibility approach to reach 200 million young people across India, girls and boys, and how do you reach them? So it's only then that we added on the digital part to our um, serial. We look for any opportunity. It's like walking with your umbilical cord and plugging it wherever you can. So let me give you three, four good examples. One of them is that we get government, the health ministry in India, which has 800,000 ashas, which is frontline health workers. They get a message. We create a little um, mess, synopsis message and they send it on every day of the show to health workers across the country. You know, that kind of technology exists. Then we use our digital media for self-help groups. There are 800,000 self-help groups just in one state in India. I'm sorry we're talking about a country where the numbers are so large. So we, we are now using our materials. We've made um, a backup material to give to self-help groups. So what we're doing is we have this powerful material that works. We are show, sending it everywhere we can, as did BBC Media. I'm sorry I'm speaking on your behalf. BBC Media in India, 
did digital they put some of the programs on uh, uh, cell phones on maternal health which were shown by frontline health workers to women when they went to visit them so what we do is we are sponges we are learning from bbc we are learning from soul city everybody and the cost i will share the cost effectiveness with you it the more programs and the more we expand it costs less i met some of your colleagues and have been talking to them about your initiating work in india and i'll be very happy to share with all of you our cost estimates they go down it becomes far more cost effective if you use many others the most expensive is outreach community outreach so in fact in season 3 we have reduced the community outreach because that's expensive i agree with you but using the same material and repurposing it is not expensive and we are very excited about the number of people we are able to reach but of course you have to have a great quality program and i didn't mention before we use bollywood indian bollywood one of its finest theater and film directors to direct our serial we we're trying to make it like bollywood quality Fantastic. Amazing, yeah. Thank Thanks. you. Uh, Caroline, you wanted to no, come in? No, I don't in. think I can follow such an impassioned speech, but that, that was brilliant. Thank you. I, I just wanted to also, just a reminder that sometimes we should look in unusual and unexpected places for media and gender norm change. So we've been working a lot with producers of political debate programs, so question time formats that people tend to think mm -hmm. are not appealing to women, have nothing to do with gender at all. And, uh, and sometimes the assumptions made that women just are not interested in, in political talk shows, you know, inherently because they're not interested in politics. It's obviously not the case, has more to do with the way that those discussion and political debate programs have been kind of traditionally run. There's work that we can do there um, in, in formats that broadcasters are broadcasting every single week and by working with them we can challenge norms around women in politics, women's political partic um, participation, their ability to have a view on really complex political issues. So there are, there are formats and vehicles there that we should be using in, and working with in addition to kind of creating these, these new programme vehicles ourselves I think and c combining the two approaches I think is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, so uh, a number of questions have come in online, um, and I have another question myself that I wanted to ask, and quite a number of the online questions touch on this. Um, so I'll start again with you, Caroline, about how norm change in the media can be measured. How do we know about what impact yes. um, different types of media yeah. um, outreach has? Yes. Just going to my measurement page in, in my notes. It's a really, a really interesting and challenging subject, I think. Um, obviously, we need to start with being really clear about what it is that we're intending to achieve in the first place and then being really conscious about what it is that we're trying to measure. Um, sometimes we're not trying to see full shifts in norms within the confines of a... Um, of a kind of short-term funded program, but rather we're looking at measures around attitudes towards norms or rejection of those norms or even attitudes around the deeper values that we were talking about earlier on. 
Um, and sometimes we're looking quite simply at measuring behaviours through which norms manifest themselves, um, whilst you know being really cognisant of the fact that a shift in behaviour doesn't equate necessarily to a shift in a norm. So these are all the kind of factors that sit around norms that we might be trying to measure. Um, but of course, in our work, we are actually trying to measure shifts in norms as well, and that can be really difficult. We've we've learned a lot in recent years about how to try to do that, but I think there's still a lot of innovation needed um, because in social norms research we're obviously trying to understand what people think other people do and what people think is expected of them and in our experience asking people about either of those things can be really tricky and really complex um, so for example when we were working in Ethiopia um, it, the women we were talking to just felt it was really impolite to even make any comment about what they thought other people did. So if that's a kind of key component of how you're defining a norm, it was really challenging for us to get to the bottom of that. So um, we had to do a lot of work in kind of designing the, the research instruments and the questions that would really get to the bottom of that and um, rooting that in really immersive research, as I said, with communities and definitely pairing quantitative research that we want to, we all want to populate our log frames with the qual research that will really help us dig under the skin of the issues. Um, and I think the other thing that's quite complex and requires real investment is that really to measure shifts in social norms we're trying to talk to people's reference group as well so not just what the person themselves is experiencing but what others expect of them so really mapping people's social networks and going out to the kind of the the reference group themselves to try to measure a shift in a norm I think is is really important um, and we've definitely had to do a lot of work with our research teams to <coughs> design tools that they can use and test them in different cultural contexts um, but I did uh, just want to say we, we found the work of um, Jerry Mackey and Holly Shakir at the University of California, San Diego, really, really helpful. And for us, um, we're never going to be sort of specialist academics in social norms specifically, but we are building our expertise. And for us, that kind of academic input, those partnerships with, um, with organizations, universities that are really um, getting into, under the skin of some of this measurement work has been really, really fruitful yeah. for us. Great, thank you. Yes, I know some um, some of those methods um, yeah. which you're talking about yeah. are quite complex, yeah. and other people yeah. have also had problems yes. with them. And yeah. I know the work. Of I think Jerry we're getting there. I think we're getting there, and but they, but they all the the measures and instruments need to be very much tested yes. in different contexts. And really, I think we've learned a lesson in making sure that we leave time for that testing and piloting of research instruments rather than just running out to the field with our with the latest questionnaire, really building Absolutely. in that time in, at the beginning of our projects. It, it's often taken a lot longer than we, we anticipated to get them right. Yes, and um, for the audience online, please do look at the Align platform. Uh, we have a section on monitoring and measuring which will be built up over the next several months, mm. so some of these resources are linked to, to the platform. Um, Olga? Yeah, I mean, I. I think Girl faces uh, very similar challenges as um, uh, BBC Media Action um, in, and, and similar approaches as well in measuring shifts in, in social norms. Um, definitely one thing that we have been um, piloting and using and we find really um, interesting and insightful is uh, having girls doing research themselves. So we have this program that is called um, 
Tega, so Technology Enabled Girls Ambassadors. So we, we train girls to use a mobile app, to use a mobile phone and become researchers themselves. So they go around their communities, they speak with their own peers um, and are able to, um, as I said, conduct research for us around um, both the, the, the cultural environment before we design a project, but also about around the impact that we have been able to achieve through our interventions as well. Um, and we find this really useful because it allows um, to take away, if you want, the inhibition of answering questions that are being asked by someone external to your community, someone very different from you. So having girls asking other girls questions has been really useful and has allowed us really to, to you know, um, to um, get some, some really interesting insights. Um, the other thing I, um, I would say is uh, definitely um, in terms of looking at social norms is use, using social scenarios. Mm -hmm. So trying to um, visualize the norms um, as applying to, <coughs> uh, sorry, applying to someone else and not to ourselves. So again, even through um, the TEGAS, our um, girls researchers, what we do is always trying to um, ask them or other girls to imagine that they are, for example, um, talking about their society and their community to someone else. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, we can really look at what are the, 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 the norms that influence someone's life, but without making it too personal and therefore too difficult to explain mm -hmm. or to analyze. Um, um, and, and, and maybe, you know, also a bit, I don't know, shameful if there is something quite private to, to talk about. Okay. So we found this uh, approach is quite useful in, uh, in our monitoring mm -hmm. and evaluation. And definitely, I would say a mix of uh, quant and qual is, um, is our, uh, our rule as well. I, we find really important, uh, especially in terms of social norms, mm -hmm. is really um, about you know insights and people talking and people explaining. It's very difficult to capture that with numbers, although we know numbers are very important, um, and therefore definitely a lot of investment on in, um, in in qualitative studies as well. Yeah, yeah. great. Hunan, you mentioned that you had had some evaluations done and perhaps you'd like to add to this question of how you measure change and how you attribute it. Okay, so um, we've used always external evaluators to do our evaluation and um, one of, in addition to what uh, both Olga and uh, Caroline, I won't repeat what they've said, we also use qualitative, quantitative, quantitative both, but we spend more time qualitative uh, doing the quantitative research. But one strategy I might like to share that may be different and new that we have used in the current serial is we're using markers to both so that we can attribute change, the question that you ask. So there are specific markers we've developed and I'll give you a few examples. Which in English means Women's Day, it's a day a woman chooses, she can do anything. And the man has to do all the jobs and the court chores that a woman does. So it's called uh, a woman's day in Hindi. It's called Marzika um, Din. Uh, then we have Nasbandi, which is vasectomy. We call it Mastbandi, which is having fun. You can have fun 
after you've had your, uh, you can have safer sex after you've had in terms of pregnancy. Then the third is property is your property. Property is your property. The fourth is Daughter's Day, where in India, where girls' birthdays aren't celebrated, especially if she's a second or third child. And there are a lot of discrimination against girls, especially the ones who are second or third born. So we call it the Daughter's Day. So what we can do is, when we do the evaluation and these markers are seen, the attribution is more direct. It cannot be attributed to anything else that happened in society or a BBC or some other program um, or a girl effect program. So that is the latest that we have used and we finding that is really working in terms of attribution. Third, on our, on our digital media, what we've got is we are not going to the conventional evaluators. We are going to RTI, Research Triangle Institute, which is globally the most well-known US-based um, uh, evaluation institute uh, a group that does digital evaluation. We have on our team a few digital experts on our evaluation team. We have digital experts who've done evaluation of digital because I find mixing the two hasn't worked. That those who are doing traditional evaluations, many universities, they're willing to do it, but we think expertise in digital uh, use is very important. And finally, the point that I want to make on our evaluation is that um, we are very clear where we are cho choosing social norms and where we are choosing just knowledge, as, as I think Carolyn also mentioned. There are times you're only measuring has knowledge gone. The final one, which we hadn't planned, it was just to get a 360 de degree approach, the integrated voice response system, every call is recorded. And as I said, in season one and two, we received 1.7 million calls. And we got a group of global experts to evaluate because their people left stories, whether they had changed their behavior or they left stories on they found out information or they wanted more information. So that 1.7 million phone calls, it's the first time such a large number of calls have been evaluated and we found that actually educated us more on how much our serial had worked two it educated us it gave us opportunity on real time as a monitoring tool we kept making changes in our scripts according to what we heard on those phone calls and we um, did not expect to evaluate it originally, but we, when we realized we had wealth of material, we evaluated it. And I think IVRS is a great, phone calls is a great way of analyzing for evaluation. And I'd be happy to share, we have everything written. We have case studies, we have the evaluation done. I'll be very happy to share it with whoever would like it. Fantastic, thank you, Poonan. Um, I've got a number of online questions. Uh, we won't be able to answer all of them, but um, after the uh, webinar, we'll endeavor to um, put some answers up on um, our website. Um, there is one question which um, I'll ask now. Uh, maybe we'll have time for two or three others. Um, it's a slightly uh, change of tack, which is about how long it takes social norms to change. Some say it takes at least a generation before deep gendered norms can change but some change can be quicker. For example, recent changes on abortion in Ireland. 
what's the panel's view. Um, I'd like to, to just uh, also advertise the fact that the Align platform um, in July will have a series running on history and change and indeed how long it takes for things to change and what the components are. Um, and also just to comment on um, something triggered the, um, the change in Ireland. Of course, it had also been a long time coming. There's another question here about the tipping point mm -hmm. when individual attitude transformation becomes norm change. So the slightly related mm -hmm. questions um, about how long it takes, what's the tipping point, um, is it a generation? Caroline, do you have any comments? Oh. <laughs> it's a, it's big a really question. big and tricky question. And I think it, it comes back to what norm are you talking about? Which context are you talking about? What are all the different um, things holding holding norms in place? And um, there was a in this um, in a there's a Jerry Mackey and Holly Shackey a study around social norms that, that actually looks at norms around intimate partner violence. And there's a really um, interesting conceptual model there showing all of the different factors that hold in you know intimate partner violence in place with the social norm just being one of the factors um, employment issues alcohol use you know huge you know, so I think I suppose what I'm saying is that you need to look at the norm in the context in which you're working and establish your understanding of all the different factors holding that norm in in place and then and then make your judgment about how amenable and how effect how, how amenable that is to change and how effective your work can be. Um, clearly in, in the norm we were tackling in Ethiopia around male involvement in um, in, in pregnancy, there, there was already some change under, uh, underway and um, so it seemed to us that, that was it was very kind of amenable to change and very possible for us to scale up that change which is why we kind of consciously made made an effort to focus on that norm and we really believed we could be effective. In other contexts, it's clearly not going to be realistic to change a norm in a kind of, in a very short space of time. So I think um, when we were working on girls' education in South Sudan, clearly their uh, child marriage, early marriage was a fundamental, huge issue, a, a major norm holding back girls' access to education. And we did discuss and explore that norm within our programming, but we weren't expecting that norm to change in three or five years. So we were then um, sort of tactically or strategically, I suppose, choosing to focus on other issues, so um, explaining cash transfer schemes to families, um, supporting um, or encouraging discussion around changes to school facilities with a, with a view to being able to increase access to education within the context of the existing norm and then ultimately believing that the more girls that go into school then you'll eventually shift the norm around early marriage that way so it's yeah it's just I think designing your strategy for for context and just being really realistic and honest with yourself and your funders about what you really are going to be able to achieve yeah very important point about funders expecting yeah. change at a pace that may not be achievable Olga do you have any comments on that yeah, I agree that, um, I mean, I don't have the answer, um, as probably nobody does, in terms of how long it takes to change a norm, but definitely it's not a very quick change. And it is, um, it is for organizations like us, I think, a challenge to be able to sh show impact. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's why, uh, as others uh, have said earlier, we, Girl Effect as well looks at really showing changes in terms of knowledge, attitudes, um, and beliefs 
beliefs and also individual uh, behavioral change. And then we, we believe that those are definitely good indicators to then um, take us on a journey to um, a, a change in social norms. Um, we, in terms of tipping point, what we believe is that, um, I mean, obviously, you know, reaching people at scale is very important, uh, but also um, reaching girls at scale and reaching young people um, at scale is very important because we believe if we work with young people, with girls themselves, who are still not completely... Um, in, within the, uh, the, the mind frame of like norms in their societies, uh, we still have like opportunities to challenge some of these norms. And this is gonna, and, and they are gonna take their new ideas and new ways of thinking with them on a journey through their lives. And this for us is a way of making those changes or these initial um, opportunities for changes more sustainable in the long term. So working across generations, but also working with the younger generations to make sure that changes in social norms can be sustainable um, is definitely our, um, our strategy. Yeah. yeah, great. Thank you. Poonan, uh, we're getting to the end of the, the time here. Um, your view uh, on yeah. how long it takes for norms to change, can some change quickly? Um, what is a tipping point? Okay, first I want to say, and I'm sure my panelists, co-panelists will agree with me, the world is changing very fast in more ways than one. Number two, people in the community, especially those that we are really trying to change, whose behavior and social norms we are trying to change, are today more ready for a change than they were five years ago, 10 years ago, because they're being more exposed to, as I say, the other half knows how the better half lives now. So they're exposed to television and media has been very powerful in exposing people to a better or more profitable, effective, sustainable way of living. And I believe the success of our programs today is, especially I speak for myself, is not only because we had a great program, but it's because the girls and women and men are more ready for a change. As I said, they've lived, they've seen the advantages of having fewer children, that the better off have and educating their children. So that, that is, to me, the tipping point where people's aspirations are changing. And if you show them the way of positive deviant behavior, you show them the way of societies changing and individuals having the courage without facing backlash, the repercussions, et cetera. So that is what. <laughs> Second, you know, the question, how long do social norms take to change? I was at an evaluation meeting at the Gates Foundation where 100 evaluators from different universities were there and they said the most difficult gender norms to, sorry, the most difficult norms to change are gender norms, right? That's what the research showed. But when I, the programs that we reviewed, I don't want to go on about only our program, but Soul City and the favelas in uh, Brazil, all the programs that we studied, we found gender name norms had changed far quicker than the evaluators or anybody else had anticipated. So my point is the more people are exposed to a better way of living, the more ready they will be uh, changing. Now, the one area where we are, we are completely 
uh, having problems globally and in India because there is a backlash. I think Caroline had also said that gender violence against women is increasing. Uh, um, gender violence as a backlash to women's empowerment. That is a tough one to crack. And I think we need to work on that sexual and gender violence. The more empowered women get, there is more backlash in terms of violence. Uh, and this, this cuts across class, economic class, caste, everything in India and across the world. So that's where we have to crack and see what is working best in ending violence and stopping violence. And we haven't paid enough attention, I believe, to men. It is not in the hands of women at all to stop violence and sexual abuse. It is men. And you also mentioned earlier, Caroline, we really need to think much more of what works. And for me, the tipping point is what has worked in other places and strategies that other people have worked that I have used, copied you uh, and scaled up. And you're absolutely right, Olga. Scale is very important. Where uh, Mobilizing is very important. And some of the work for Soul City of Soul City that has inspired us in our programs is also mobilizing. So we really have to donors have to see the role and importance of mobilizing communities along with behavior change communication. And I'll end there. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Poonan. I think that's a good place for us to end our meeting. Um, I would just like to say that we have had a number of questions online that we haven't been able to answer. Um, questions about different media outlets in target countries, challenges faced by pro projects, uh, tips on evaluation, um, issues around social movements um, and um, how you engage with local broadcast partners amongst several others. We will try and answer those online after this session. Uh, we'll get the panel to perhaps uh, answer those questions. Um, uh, I would also like to say please do visit um, our, our partners, our panel uh, websites, the Population Council of India, the BBC and the Girl Effect, which will also be accessible from um, our um, web link and also please visit Align uh, platform. Um, some of the uh, questions that we're discussing here will be uh, featured on the Align platform over the coming months, including measurement, including how long it takes for norms to change, including uh, conflict and violence. Um, and we already have a rich source, source of information there. We also do, um, as Poonan said, uh, learn from others. We encourage people to send in their case studies that we can feature on the platform so other people can visit uh, those case studies and learn from them. Um, so I think we, um, we have to end the, the session with um, huge thanks to our panel members, uh, to Poonan from uh, India, uh, to Olga from Girl Effect and to um, Caroline from BBC Media Action and from ourselves here at ODI. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you found it um, an enjoyable, entertaining maybe uh, <laughs> session and um, obviously the power of media to make change. Um, we're maybe just at the beginning of this um, and it's a very exciting area for us all to engage with going forward. So thank you all very much for joining us and uh, good afternoon from London. Thank you for listening. For more ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud 
or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes. Thank you.